With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Ralphie Report Radio with Jack Stern. Huge win for the men's basketball team last night over USC. 69-65. That was a momentum-swinging one at that. We'll dive into what happened there and take a look at the upcoming schedule for the CU Buffs basketball team. There was also a lot of attention on Twitter drawn to Tad Boyle hugging the athletic director Rick George last night after that game. I'll talk about whether or not it was warranted or not. National Signing Day finished off earlier this week. The Buffs capped off the 2019 recruiting class with nine new guys. I was in attendance at Mel Tucker's press conference. I'll get into that as well. And I also had an interview with Traveris Tillman, uh, the new defensive backs coach. I'll give you my takeaways. Also, in lesser news, but not as not least important, Evan Worthington was invited to the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis in a few weeks. I'll talk about what's at stake for him as the lone buff invited. But anyway, starting off with the huge win last night for the men's basketball team over USC. It was their first win at the Galen Center since January 25th of 2015, over four years ago. I think getting over that mental roadblock for them was huge. It seemed like it was partially psychological, their inability to win there. But what I saw from the basketball team last night was truly incredible. Really good effort from all the way around. The squad showed more mental toughness than I think they've shown all year, which was huge. But looking at looking at the just looking at the stat sheet, Deshaun Schwartz, an unlikely contributor all season, finished with seven of the 11 final points, including two clutch free throws, which pretty much put the game on ice. McKinley Wright, who's pretty much been the leader for the team, had 20 points, uh, a team high. Evan Batty, who struggled with foul trouble much of the night like he typically did, finished off with 14 points on an efficient 5 of 7 shooting, including 6 rebounds. Loved the cohesive team effort all the way around. And I think this goes to show that this team hasn't really developed a dependency on anyone aside from McKinley because there was a little bit of stepping up across the board. Tyler Bay, guy who has really come on strong the past few nights, had a fairly quiet game. He still had a team-high seven rebounds, but, excuse me, second-high, McKinley had eight. But he still had seven rebounds, but he only had two points had a really quiet night shooting from the field, one for four. But look, this team has been able to keep confidence under them, which I think is the biggest part. They haven't folded, and I think that speaks to how good Tad Boyle has done in keeping this team level-headed. A month ago, a lot, of people, a lot of people counted this team out, especially after the Diamond Head Classic where they lost to Indiana State and Hawaii. Most people probably thought this team's season was done. But they had confidence in each other. Tad Boyle instilled a sense of confidence in them. 
and all of a sudden they're 14 and 9, 5 and 6 in conference play. They have 5 of their 7 remaining games at home. And with a strong run to finish out the season, they could find themselves in the NIT tournament. At this point, I think the NCAA tournament is a long long stretch because you know, you have Washington and it's going to be hard for them to win the Pac-12 tournament, which I think is their only chance of getting into that tourney. But it's still attainable. Obviously, it's not likely. But if anything, I think this team could finish off this year strong, maybe win a game or two in the NIT tournament and, you know, get some momentum going into next year. Last night, though, was really impressive. I didn't think that this team was capable of what I saw. And they won it with the typical Tad Boyle formula for success. They played great defense, held USC to 65 points on just 40.4% shooting from the field. Good offensive effort from Lucas Seward and Deshaun Schwartz. And Evan Batty, for that matter. They, They were the three secondary contributors behind McKinley Wright. And it goes to show that this team has a lot of guys who can step up. Even though they haven't really found a consistent 1B behind McKinley, they have a lot of 2As who can fit the 1B role. They have guys who can take get a hot hand on a given night and score double-digit points in the, in the scoring column and shoot efficiently from the field, not take stupid shots. That's really impressive to me. And that, I think, is even more important in a conference like the Pac-12 where there's not a, really, a lot of really prolific scores. Having guys who can just score consistently at minutes notice or when they have a favorable matchup down low, like Evan Batty did last night. That's really what's impressive to me. And just looking at their remaining schedule, it's not easy, but coming up they have two games against the Arizona schools. Arizona State is coming off their biggest win of the year against the conference best Washington Huskies. And I said it on previous episodes, Washington was due to lose a game. Now that they got out of that out of the way, I think they'll play much better and more aware the rest of the way. But those are both winnable games. Arizona, the, th- the thing about this situation is the Buffs are hitting their peak right now. And Arizona, who they, play, who they play a week from today on Sunday, is at perhaps their lowest point of the season after losing by double digits at home to the conference-worst Washington State Cougars. So I think they at least can split that home stand, if not get a sweep. Arizona State's the hottest team in the conference right now. I don't want to undermine that fact. But the Buffs can beat them at home. Having home court advantage in college basketball means everything. And the fact that they were able to go on the road and sweep a road trip against the L.A. schools is huge. Because now they come back home on a three-game winning streak, riding some hotness, and they can take that into Wednesday night's game against Arizona State to find a way to pull out a victory. They're going to need to play well defensively again. And they're going to need to get some more scoring from the other guys. Maybe Tyler Bay needs to have a game like he did against Oregon. Or Deshaun Schwartz needs to get hot from beyond the arc like we know he can and hasn't been knocking down recently. 
But this is a team that's very capable. And they're hitting their hottest peak of the season right now. And they're scary. And I think they can beat anyone. That might be a long, a little bit of an overstatement, but I really do. After those two, uh, after Arizona State and Arizona, they have Washington State, very winnable game, despite the fact that it's on the road. They have a road game at Washington, which is tough. But then they have three at home against Utah, UCLA, and USC. None of those teams are really good. So right now, I think they could go, I think realistically, they could go 5-2 and two down the stretch to finish off the season at 19-11, and 11, which should be good enough for an NIT tournament bid. Well, depending on what happens in the Pac-12 tournament, but you want to be as highly seeded as possible so you can at least get a lower seed and hopefully win a couple games there. But for right now, I think 5-2 and two is a realistic finish to the season, in my opinion. If not 6-1, and one, if you can find a way to steal a game or two in, uh, against Washington or at home against Arizona State. And Utah is a little bit of a tricky team because they can get hot, as we've see, we saw a couple nights ago against UCLA. I mean, they staged a 23-point comeback, and it felt like the basket was the size of the swimming, a swimming pool. They were just hitting everything. But realistically, at home, that's a game they should win. So there is some tricky games in there, and USC has given them trouble. And UCLA shows up and decides not to show up on specific nights. So they could come out and play their best game. But if this team continues to play like they're playing now, I think 5-2 and two is where they should finish. On Twitter last night and other various forms of social media, there was a video that kind of went viral of Tad Boyle jumping into the arms of athletic director Rick George. And I understand that a lot of people said it was unsportsmanlike, but I love the emotion coming out of Boyle. I don't want him to hold any of that back. And to top it off, USC showed some unsportsmanlike conduct against Colorado last year. I'm not rationalizing that. I'm not saying he should have rubbed it in his face. But basketball is an emotional game, and sometimes those emotions are going to come out. And when it's the head coach, that's exactly what you want to see. Because he, he showed his players in that one frame how much he cared about them. And... For anyone who thought that Tad wasn't the right guy to coach this team or that he should be on the hot seat for their underachieving efforts early on, I was one of them. But you know what? Last night completely changed my mind, and it should change the mind of everyone. See, in the business of college sports, I feel like sometimes we get caught up with trying to run guys out of town, saying they're not the right fit, criticizing them, or feeling that someone else would be better. but And this leads to coaches moving around every few years, typically. But let's take a look at Tad Boyle's resume. He's a Greeley native. He's from Colorado. He coached at UNC before this. And this is his dream job. A lot of people also don't remember the years where the program was at the bottom of the conference season after season. Obviously, they haven't been great. They've never been able to take that next step to elite status, but they've had above-average seasons, and they've had some really good years. And for a school that places an emphasis on morality and isn't in, exactly in a recruiting hotbed, I think that's something fans should be excited about. 
The thing about Tad Boyle is he loves this job. He wouldn't trade it for anyone. He's great with the fan base. He's super genuine and upfront, which has gained him popularity with the players. So until the team massively takes a step back, I think he should stay. Because you know what? A lot of coaches would have gotten frustrated, started looking for the next opportunity. But when you have a guy like this who is living out his dream and in, a, in the perfect place where he wants to be, that speaks volumes. He loves Boulder. He loves Colorado. And I, don't, I think finding coaches like that who have a genuine excitement and love for a specific program, except for ones who maybe played at a school or what have you, that, that's, that's huge in my opinion. I just hope, at this point, it's hard not to root for this team and hope that they're able to find a way to come down the stretch strong and finish things off the right way. On Wednesday, though, there was a big press conference with Mel Tucker on National Signing Day. The Buffs signed 25 new players uh, to join their team. The group was headlined, headlined by Levante Chenault, the brother of superstar LaVisca. A lot of people think he's going to be an instant impact guy. But the fact that the Buffs were able to sign nine new players in the final quarter of the recruiting class, including a couple high-name recruits like Marvin Ham, the linebacker from Belleville, Michigan, Levante, obviously, and even some under-the-radar guys that they're definitely taking a chance on but could pay off on in a big way, like DJ Oates, a cornerback defensive back who's supposedly a speed demon and coming out of Arlington, Texas. Crazy story. He lost both of his parents tragically throughout his childhood. Really plays with a chip on his shoulder. Another guy, Jaden Simon, defensive tackle from Washington, a big boy. They got some nice... Intriguing prospects. I'll put it like that. And I'll put it like that because for some of them, it's, they're not really proven. They weren't really highly recruited. So it's hard to go out on a limb and say there'll be instant impact or, or they'll be great. But at the same time, so much of how a player performs, especially at the college level, depends on coaching and development. Mel Tucker's brought in an excellent staff that I think excels in those two categories. And that's going to play dividends in a big way, in my opinion. You want coaches who can develop guys, and taking some under-the-radar players has a lot of upside, potentially. Especially considering that some of them may be a little bit more projecty, maybe you know, players that take a little more time to develop. But at the same time, I think it's excellent that they were able to get so many guys who flew under the radar a little bit but have a lot of upside and have a high ceiling and have a long way to go developmentally. That's going to be a big thing. It's definitely a risk, but in this business, it's about reward. It's not about risk, and it's about making the risk pay off. And I think that's something that Tucker is going to excel at. In terms of who's most ready to play right away and I think is going to compete for a spot, one guy I really like is Joshua Allen the inside linebacker, Juco transfer from Arizona Western College. The second best inside linebacker at the Juco level. I think he's primed to compete for immediate playing time and most likely earn a spot, especially with Rick Gamboa graduating 
Obviously, Nate Lamman will take over one of the inside linebacker spots. Well, he occupied it last year. I think Allen is going to fight for the other one and probably win it, though. I mean, that spot is wide open. There's going to be a battle there. Jonathan Van Deest, Akil Jones, Chase Newman. But all those guys are with, well, Akil Jones is going to be the oldest as a redshirt junior. And Allen is coming in already as a junior. And he's very physically developed. And I think he's the most suited for that position. There's going to be competition. And I believe Tucker when he says he's going to put the best guy on the field. Unlike McIntyre, who at times wanted to put the seniors out there. Or whatever. But it's college football. There's going to be some competition. And I think Allen is the type of guy who's going to be able to play right away. He looks apart. 6'2", 225. Huge, huge backer. Great tackler. Excellent closing speed. Another guy who I think has a shot to play early. Maybe not right away. Jaron Mangum. The running back from Detroit, Michigan. Cass Technical High School. So they, they did an excellent job addressing positions of need, in my opinion. They needed a linebacker who's ready to play right away. And I think Mangum adds some nice competition to the running back room. Alex Fontenot is going to be a redshirt sophomore. And then behind him, Deion Smith and Jarek Broussard are both going to be redshirt freshmen who didn't get any playing time last year. So it's really hard to see what we're going to get out of that. But Mangum was another highly rec- touted recruit who's a bigger back and Seems to look the part as someone who can play right away. Levante Chenault, I think, will play soon, but not right away. He's kind of in a tough situation with with the depth chart. I mean, I think he'll get some snaps, but his brother and KD are are the top two receivers right now. Behind him, you have a senior and Tony Brown. Dimitri Stanley should get some more playing time. Daniel Arias, I think, should play a role there. They're clearly trying to build... A foundation at the receiver position. They signed three new guys in Chenault, Braden Huffman-Dixon, and Tarek Luckett. Huffman-Dixon and Luckett were, you know, highly touted recruits from the Southern California area and big-bodied targets for the for a quarterback. Both are above six-two. Seems like they're real. Colorado has really done an excellent job building a foundation of really talented receivers and. It's translated over to the NFL with Shea Fields and Devin Ross last year, and LaVisca Chenault should probably be a top, a first-round pick at minimum next year. KD might come out early as well. And then behind that, they have some really good players who are going to be good down the road. And Daniel Arias, a tall, fast guy. Stanley's shifty in the slot. Jalen Jackson's another good player. So they're, they're loading up at wide receiver. And they want to. They want to throw. They should be throwing the ball a lot more next season, given how much talent they have at the position. Another position of emphasis was both the offense and defensive line. Out of the twenty-five recruits, eleven of them were linemen, and six were on the defensive line. Five were on the offensive line, and it makes sense because they don't really have a lot of depth at either of those positions, and. They're trying to build a team that wins battles in the trenches. Mel Tucker's made an emphasis that it starts up front, and they've gotten some big boys who I think can play up there. Linebacker, lineman, wide receiver were the biggest positions of emphasis. Linebacker, they took five new guys because they have a lot, they, they have some upperclassmen and they wanted to get a little more talent at the position. Offensive line has struggled. They wanted to see if they could get some guys who can solidify and shore that up. 
So it makes sense. Really good job by Tucker targeting the position of need. Positions of need, rather. Something I heard a lot of people complaining about, though, was the fact that Colorado did not take a quarterback in this signing class. To me, that's perfectly fine. For one, Montez is a redshirt senior, fifth-year senior, who's definitely going to be the starter. And behind that, they have some guys who've been, who they've been developing over the years. And like I said, in college football, it's not just about getting someone who can come in and play right away. Because realistically, that's not something that's going to happen most of the time. But behind Montez, they have Sam Neuer, who's going to be a redshirt junior, Tyler Lytle, who's going to be a redshirt sophomore, and Blake Stenstrom, who's going to be a redshirt freshman. They have three talented quarterbacks behind them. I think they should place a greater emphasis on trying to develop those guys and maybe get one of, the, one, one of them ready to be the starter come next year. I understand there's some scare about the depth behind Montez, and the concern is warranted because he has struggled. You know, he hasn't, he hasn't missed a lot of time. He hasn't missed any games. I mean, he missed the second half of the uh, Utah game last year with a minor injury, but the way he plays and with the physicality he uses when he runs around and stuff, he's taken a lot of big hits, and there's a lot of concern that one of those hits is eventually going to lead him to, to him missing extended time, and there's concern about any of those three guys' ability to come in and play right away. I understand that. But at the same time, bringing in a fourth quarterback and crowding that receiver room even more is, in my opinion, is not the way to, to do it. Because you, you have so much more growth, growth for the other guys, and a freshman probably wouldn't be ready to play right away. And most graduate transfers don't want to come somewhere where they're going to sit the bench. So they did the right thing, in my opinion. And to top it off, this goes this allows them to go all out in 2020 and sell to whoever's coming in that they could potentially compete to play right away because Montez is leaving. That could be a huge selling point because these guys really want immediate playing time and the opportunity to compete for that. So I, th- I think they're in a really good situation on a number of different levels in terms of the quarterback position. And Tyler Lytle, let's not, for, let's not forget about him. He had over 20 offers coming out of college, many of which were Power 5. He was a, a sought-after guy, and the Buffs were fortunate enough to be able to lock him up. Yes, he hasn't performed well in limited playing time, but the skills are definitely there. The big arm, the dirt, the mobility, the, the height. So... I think people need to pump the brakes and be a little bit more patient. And also remember how much Montez struggled in his first year of the start and how much better he was in his second year. So there just needs to be a little bit more patience and understanding of the situation. I think they're doing great, and it allows them to put all their eggs in the basket of securing a guy in 2020. And if someone transfers, say Neuer doesn't think the situation is going to play out favorable for him and decides to move on, That's a way to get multiple quarterbacks. So that was the perfect way to approach things, in my opinion. Not signing a quarterback in this cycle and just waiting it out. Evan Worthington, as a lot of people anticipated, the big, tall safety coming out of Colorado received a combine invite. He'll be at Indianapolis competing. And he's he's someone I think could sneak his way into the later rounds of the draft. After none of the other guys earned invites and just talking to some draft scouts around the league, 
doesn't seem like a lot of any of them have a real good shot of being drafted. You know, maybe they'll be priority undrafted free agents or what have you. But I think Worthington has the best shot of squeezing his way into the sixth round because of the physical, because of how much of a physical specimen he is. He's tall, he's rangy, he's fast, he's a good athlete. I think the major concern with Worthington lies in his injury history. He had two concussions last season, one in the preseason, one later in the year. And that's a lot considering the nature of the business and how guys have been forced to medically retire because of concussions. But if he can show how his skills are favorable and really run, run a good 40 time, maybe open some eyes in the cone shuffle or the other drills, I think he has a chance to potentially be a, pro, a guy who sneaks into the later rounds of the draft as someone people will take a flyer on. I think he's grown up a lot mentally and he, he's played much better as his career has progressed here. When he's been on the field, he was good. I mean, last season, in 2017, he had a team-high three interceptions, 66 tackles, kind of showed that Swiss Army knife ability. And even though he wasn't able to stay on the field this year, it's not just about on-field performance when draft evaluators are making these decisions. It's about potential. And I think right now he has so much untaped potential that he could be a really good draft pick. Anyway, I hope to see everyone out at the CU basketball games this coming weekend. There's going to be a lot of excitement with Arizona State and conference rival Arizona coming to town. And being that the Buffs lost both of these games earlier in the season on the road, it's a shot at redemption for them. And I expect them to come out and play their best game Hope to see you there and also listening to the next edition of Ralphie Report Radio. I'm Jack Stern signing off.